Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. And we are back, episode 88, let me check my notes, uh, of yes. the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network. I am Charlie Carden, your Trek Lord of West Michigan, regional coordinator of Region 13, Starfleet International, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey. I feel like I already mentioned that. Um, here with you, with my two esteemed colleagues, Mr. Peter Stein. Hello, Lieutenant Peter Stein. Hey, everybody. And the one-of-a-kind superstar, Kay Quinn. Katie, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Magnificent. Well, we are uh, back with another action-packed episode, and this is kind of fun because we are—we have something not fun to talk about first. So don't let me don't let me underslash oversell that. But this is the first episode in a while that we've gotten to sit down and record Unbroken because we're on it for the whole thing. We're starting a new season, uh, season three of Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, and then we're obviously going to talk about the two latest episodes of Star Trek. Prodigy. But first, some sad news. We had a passing in the Star Trek world. The the lights of the USS Grand Petoskey dimmed for Kirstie Alley, uh, who burst onto the scene uh, with one of her first uh, roles in entertainment, in, in major Hollywood entertainment, in 1982 with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, as the cadet Lieutenant Savick, the protege of Mr. Spock, uh, she has passed away due to, I believe it was colon cancer at the age of 71. Uh, Kirstie was also most famous for her role as Rebecca in Cheers. I don't know. You guys are younger than me. Did you grow up watching Cheers or catch any of Cheers? Or catch oh, no. Cameras? I've seen all of Cheers. Yes. Multiple Peter, how about times. you? <laughs> I am aware that it exists. Yes, like sure you guys were saying. Everybody knows your name. Right, exactly. They but apparently yes. don't know mine. I guess not. And you're oh. always glad you came. And Peter was like, I would be, <laughs> but I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so she, uh, you know, had this role, didn't end up, uh, of Lieutenant Savick, uh, did not end up coming back for Star Trek III uh, for reasons that I'm not super privy to, uh, probably money, potentially um clashes with William Shatner, which I hear quite a bit. Um, but no, the role was recast uh, with Robin Curtis for Star Trek Three, and actually met Robin at Mission Chicago, lovely woman. But uh, Kirstie, uh, yeah, went on a lot of fame, uh, obviously on Cheers, and just kind of scrolling through this linking, uh, she was most recently a guest on The Masked Singer, where she's some kind of pink Something with hooves? Was there maybe that was an elephant of some kind? Are you guys looking at this with her and Nick Cannon in the picture at the bottom of this? Is that Nick Cannon? I don't know. I, I do. I do not know. That's the mass singer. I, I don't know. I know more about yeah. Cheers. <laughs> there's a, there's a caption that says it's mass singer, and by the context of the photograph, I kind of I kind of assumed that. So um, yeah, uh, and again, very sudden uh, colon cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. But yeah, as a fan of Cheers, uh, you know, Katie, I'm sure that did not come as happy news to you to hear about the past. Though her character was 
at times obnoxious, but she was a, a foil to uh, Sam Malone, who was, of course, Ted Danson's character on the show after Shelley Long left. So um, thoughts about the legacy of her as Savick? I mean, she put the stamp on um, the first female Starfleet Vulcan officer that I believe we saw, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I Spock's honestly... For speaking um, one, yeah. I have not seen that movie because that's part of the original series. I know. Uh, Shocker. Star Trek. I just, I'm going to be Star losing Trek. my Star Trek yeah. right now. But oh my, I didn't really, really like for her. not seeing Cheers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Star Trek 2 is when you ask about <laughs> the Star Trek podcast. Ask, I'm like, what do you mean you haven't seen an 80s sitcom? <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you got to be a jack of all trades, master none. Well, yeah, it's mm-hmm. just Star Trek 2 when people talk about Star Trek movies, they talk about Star Trek 2. They talk about Star Trek 4, the one with the whales. And, and sometimes yep. First Contact will get mentioned if you're venturing. So have you not seen any of the TOS films? I have seen the one with the whales. And it's actually very possible that I have seen the other ones. I just do not remember them because I saw them when I was so young. Because I know that there was a stint where I watched several of them, but I don't remember. I remember there was one with a worm that went in someone's ear. That was this film. That was Star Trek. There we go. So I have seen this one, but that freaked me out. And I didn't want to watch it anymore because I was like, I I was very young. When I saw that. Well, that movie, that movie came out before you were born, if I'm not mistaken. It came out in 1982. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would have so, been three when it um, – or no. Probably I, was yeah, it was yeah. three years before I was born. Right, exactly. <laughs> So we will we, we will dine and we will dine on that uh, more later. But Peter, your thoughts about uh, her portrayal as Savick? I mean, I don't want to compare contrast between her and the other actress, but no, what no. did you what did you think of the character? I really liked her version of Savick. Um, yeah, I thought that she brought a certain amount of um, seriousness, but yet some underlying playfulness to the character, which was interesting. Right. Um, a little so, bit more subtle than I yeah. There was a lot. There was a lot more subtlety going on in, yeah. in Kirstie Alley's Savick, which was just right. fun seeing. Yeah, and it was the first time that we really saw two Vulcans talking to each other, just right. talking to each other. And that um, was, and they spoke in Vulcan, which I don't believe we'd ever heard other than you no, know words well, like on far and blah blah blah. Yeah, well, that's I not. Remember, Star Trek I don't motion. remember if it got redone in motion picture or I think they spoke Vulcan in motion picture or maybe it got redubbed. I don't know, but yeah. I'm not sure either. Either way, it was um, just kind of cool seeing two Vulcans speak to each other in Starfleet. Right. No, it was I agree. Just, it was just fun. So, anyway. I agree. Well, anyway, we mourn her passing, as does the uh, the Star Trek community. So, uh, rest, in, rest in power, Kirstie Alley. Uh, moving along, uh, we have two episodes of uh, Prodigy to talk about. Um, both of which I thought uh, kind of stood their own. But Katie, why don't you kick us off with uh, reading about episode 16? Yeah, so episode um, 16 was um, preludes. And uh, it was that the crew of the Protostar was trying, or the, yeah, the crew of the Protostar was trying to repair the Protostar. Um, and it kind of gave some time for some exhibition ex- exposition. I cannot talk. <laughs> Nobody was exhibiting. There wasn't anybody going do 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 do. Yeah, no. Um, and give us a little bit of some backstory about um, Zero and Rock and um, oh, what's the other one? Uh, Pog. Jacob Pog. Jacob Pog. Which I should know his name because he says his name. Which at least they gave they finally gave us a reason as to why he always talks about himself in the third person. Right. 
which I'm like, okay, you know what? Actually, I can now maybe stomach that a little bit more. But um, it still doesn't seem like Dal has learned much from his entire experience because he was all like, my life is so hard. I'm trying to deal with the fact that I was a failed test tube baby. And everybody was like, "Um, yeah, my dad traveled back in time and made me off of a clone because he wanted to destroy the Federation as we know it. Um, Such a narcissist. Oh, my God. Me, me, me. Listen to me. I'm so sad. So, um, but I did like learning about the rest of the crew. And having that filled in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That was good. And it really reminded me of, you know, in, 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 in Star Trek novel parlance, I know I've mentioned this before, there are two and only two canonical works. There's a, and they're, both of them were written by Jerry Taylor and both of them were Voyager. The first one was the backstory of all of our main characters, with the exception, I think, of Seven of Nine. And then there was a novel that was just about Janeway's life and growing up and stuff. So this was this was a nice, and it's funny, this is a show which is a you know spiritual sequel to Voyager. So uh, this was done kind of in a similar fashion and yeah i loved i love the little nods to like the original series with uh, they were chasing when they were chasing around zero and obviously he wasn't in his suit but they were wearing those same goggles that spock mm-hmm. was wearing when the magicians were introduced yeah, yeah. in the original and series they were kazan and yes, there were we kazan yes. in this animation style i was very excited about that <laughs> i thought i thought we got kazan yeah. in the first couple episodes we saw them before but we're seeing them yeah. again Right. The uh, I saw my favorite meme, and I might even dub this as a working title of the episode. Uh, the Kazon are the when you order your Klingons from Wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you order your motion picture Klingons from Wish, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is the current working title of this episode. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, P- uh, Peter, any thoughts? Uh, any, any thoughts about this one from you? Um. I generally like this one. It was a bit disjointed for me. I mean, that's the whole point is you're telling different backstories. Right. Yeah. Um, nothing really cohesive. It was kind it, of a filler while they're like, yeah. So that was a little weird. Some time. Yeah. Um, I did like everybody's backstory. Um, rocks was kind of entertaining. I mean, it was a little yeah. sad, but it was also funny. Yeah. Like I used to like be an entertainer. And so you see like her messing with the other guy. And so they start right. like changing up doing goofy things like i enjoyed yeah. that bit especially because right. it was just a little fun the yeah. ending pit of it was like really sad but the middle bit yeah. was funny <laughs> yes. um, so i liked that i did like how jenkum had like a little bit of character development just the bit. smallest bit you almost couldn't yeah. see it right. just, it was just yeah. the smallest right. bit i mean he inched doll yeah. is like two steps forward three steps back jenkum <laughs> is like he took like he leaned it was like forward. a little, it was yeah. like a little shuffle. It was a tilt. It was just like a stepped on a stepped on a crack in the pavement and had to turn slightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that. So I liked those. The thing that I thought was especially interesting was the thing at the end. Um, yeah. Where right uh, our intrepid ensign aboard the right. uh, Dauntless surprise is the same a plant, right? He sees as the diviner, right? And That's you're like. A, Oh, this yeah, makes a lot of sense, but right. I didn't see that coming. I know, um, which is right. that, that's that for for and a that kid's means it's a good twist. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. That is a Jamila Jamil's character of Asensia. Uh, so yeah, so she's another um, she's another uh, of the diviners race, and yeah. and brought along her own killer robot too. So another one of the dread. dread right. Well, and she, we found out her name was um, she was labeled the Vindicator. 
And so they were talking about, yeah, like about how, because I think they actually labeled their Yeah, they they gave a few other things and they did give the race name. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I don't remember it either, but I did think (laughs) it was one of those where they, uh, they told the backstory about like how, why they were after Starfleet. And it was one of those where they were like, Starfleet asked if we wanted to join and we just didn't see the point of it. So we ended up fighting ourselves to oblivion in disagreement. And so now we're blaming Starfleet for the fact that we killed our, like literally obliterated ourselves because we couldn't decide. And I was like, and you guys, your solution to this isn't, hey, maybe we should have stopped fighting. It's, hey, let's go back in time and then destroy the entire Federation. Because they're the problem. Yeah, and I was trying to, I I, I feel like this is one of those where you need a big vision board to figure it out. So they met Starfleet, but it was Chakotay. They met them right around the present. Right. Yeah. And then, then, well, they met Chakotay in the present, which is after their war. So their war happened a little while ago. So So, they met met somebody, then they had their war. Chakotay shows up. Okay. Time shenaniganery, and they no, send. No, so no, because what happened this is, is where, they yeah, were. I... Okay, so break it up. Their yes, war please. happened in the future. Um, the Federation contacted them in the future. So years from now, okay. millennia from now, they will contact this race and say, "Hey, do you want to join oh, the Federation?" Oh. And then half of them say, "Maybe this is a good idea." Half of them go, "I don't think it's a good idea." They fight until there's. Like, really, no one left. Nobody left, yeah. Right. Then, when Chakotay is using the protostar, he accidentally goes through a time wormhole and ends up in the future. Into the future. Step, yeah. Into and the future. then, right. they end up, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> then, he, they capture him. They load the virus onto the protostar. Yep. And There's the first officer. Yeah. So, they escape and then send the protostar back in time. Which is how it gets like they send it through the wormhole again, the time wormhole, and twenty then, years in the twenty years in our past, the past of what's happening. Now. Well, they don't really know where it went, so <laughs> right. that's why they yeah, sent that hundred ships. Yes, yeah, so right. Um, the diviner ended up twenty years in the past, same place, from but where the prodigy timeline is taking place now, and then right. Vindicator ended up three years from the pr- right. from our present timeline. Because of everything that was going on. So they're actually from the far future. And so now they're trying to destroy Federation now. Yep. I missed the. So this is a real who's. Yeah, this is a real who's on first type situation. (laughs) Yeah, I I missed the very first part where in the distant future, and they don't say where either. So you don't know, Mm -mm. or maybe they did, where the diviner species is their planet. Alpha quadrant, Delta quadrant, Beta quadrant, Gamma quadrant, you don't know. So it's, you don't know if it's nearby. So Chakotay's doing his thing, flies through a wormhole, it dumps him in the distant future. No, I think because he, Chakotay had a distress distress call that said I'm lost somewhere in the Delta quadrant. And one, he went through the time hole or to through the um, wormhole. So I think they so were they, technically so in the Delta quadrant. Oh, okay. When he went through oh, the gotcha. time vortex wormhole thingy, or at least he thought and he was, he was able, in the Delta quadrant. And they were able to somehow, I mean, this is just, this is really dense for a show like this, or we're all just I really, know. we're really dense. <laughs> so it's like they, and I, I realize we're now getting down this rabbit hole, probably ought to get out of it, but they beamed a signal, maybe through this wormhole, went into the past, got Chakotay's attention. He followed the distress call, went into the future. 
it's just him and his first officer on this ship because when they say, we captured the Starfleet people and they escaped, and you just see Chakotay and his bird first officer. Uh, I don't know if they even sent out a distress call. I think he just accidentally was just like, missing. wrong There's place, no wrong distress time. Call. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. They and were so, supposed yeah. to go into the Delta Quadrant, hit the wormhole, and so Janeway's looking in the Delta Quadrant because it was a last right. known position. Oh, my goodness. This is, I mean, it's pretty innovative. I think, and it's 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 yeah. dense. And but if it's thrown off the three of us, what's it doing to the kids who are like, right. oh, this I, is Star Trek? I, I what know the, the hell? species is the Volnicot. There you Volnicot. go. I knew it there was a go. I knew it was a hyphenated longer something. So, all right. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, folks. Add us on Twitter if we're way off if we're missing something. At Secret Friends, you let us know. Uh, but let's move on, <laughs> Peter. Uh, episode 17 is yours. Please go ahead. Okay, episode 17, The Ghost in the Machine. So the crew is running holodeck simulations, and uh, then we get our classic stuck in the holodeck yeah. scenario yep. with a twist. Yeah. Right. Um, I liked the twist uh, myself personally, but the holodeck programs were just a little... Yeah, the whole they stuck in the holiday thing. I'm just, I'm just kind of done with it. And they were dumb programs. Like, oh, Murph is now singing. Singer. He's the or jazz singer, but he does really well. Yeah, yeah. but he, he doesn't speak. <laughs> but he learned how to. Hilariously, I made a joke that we'd be hearing. Um, uh, what's his name? Why is his name the voice actor whose name is escaping me right now? D. Bradley uh, Baker. Hear him, D. Bradley Baker. Yeah. I wonder if we'll hear him talk. Well. <laughs> I guess They're faking us out here, which is hilarious. <laughs> it just immediately made me think of in uh, 1992, Brent Spiner released an album called Old Yellow Eyes, and it was just black and white photograph of him without any makeup, but his eyes were colored in yellow, looking like Data, and he's singing jazz singer standards, as oh I understand it. So probably yeah, what was, this is a reference to. This though. was this mm-hmm. was Murph the jazz singer, which I think is a great. No, I think I'm going to stick with Kazon, the Klingons orders from Wish. I think that it's a good name for the episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the twist at the end. Not to mention, we forgot to mention at the end of the last episode, Janeway stumbles upon our three nemesises, all in Nemesi, Nemesaur, Nemesis, yes, yeah. because uh, Asensia helps the, the the diviner get his memory back, and he judo chops her, and she's unconscious. And then at the end of this episode, after the twist, um, but let's talk about the twist. So anyway, yeah, dumb holodeck programs are stuck in there. Safeties are off. But um, it was one of those, like, you know, I tell the computer to, you know, give me an opponent that can defeat data. And that's how we got Moriarty in TNG. It was kind of the yeah. same thing as, you know, they say, well, maybe our mission shouldn't be trying to get to Starfleet anymore. And so Hologram Janeway's like, oh, I got to lock them in the holodeck and somehow turn off the safety. So maybe they all end up dead. I don't know. She kind of, you know, that's kind of scary. That she was just like, boop, boop, boop. And they were, you know, they get run over by a bus. And she's just like, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was super cool. But it does happen all the time, which makes anybody wonder why anybody wants to use the holodeck. (laughs) I mean, it was good to see the um, closure. I mean, because I think that they teased like evil Janeway um, in like the second episode that she was in. You had evil version of Janeway. So, I mean, it right. was kind of That's one of those true. things that, yeah, happened and then just disappeared. And now it's finally coming to fruition. So, again, it just seems like they're juggling a lot of stuff and not really sure how to cohesively bring it together. 
Right. I mean, part of that, and, and this, these notes kind of speak to it, is that, you know, th- this living construct, the big red glowing ball that's making the ship lethal, and it's the reason that they can't go back to Federation space, uh, is controlling, obviously, the entire ship. Well, she's part of the ship. So it's mm-hmm. still, even though they it took control of her and then she managed to dislodge that, but it's still, it says here, well, a secret subroutine from the construct um, made it so that they could sideline the kids and then still get the protostar back to federation space so it can activate its you know death blossom and and kill everybody but as as she's figuring this out and they're figuring everything out they look out the window and the dauntless has found them but we don't know who's running the dauntless i mean we and that's what we're going to find out in the next episode obviously is that you know the diviner knocked out real janeway and did they then turn around and did the three of them take over the ship or did they get sidelined because the the dauntless still has a full crew it's right. not it's a, by like it's, three people. So. Yeah, it's a huge ship. Well, two people. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not crew. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like, what are they going to do? <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. I'm going to, I mean, I love my case on Wish, but I'm going to have to go with Chakotay and the Birdman. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's the name of this episode. Oh, my oh. God. Chakotay and the Birdman is like, you know, uh, Butch and Sundance or uh, <laughs> the Marlboro Man. I don't know. It's just something. Smokey and the Bear. There we go. Smokey and the Bear. That's what I was thinking of. All right. So um, we got three episodes left. Um, you know, the, obviously 17 ended on a cliffhanger. So um, best predictions for what we're going to see in the next three episodes, just in, in 30 seconds or less. Katie. Um, real Janeway is going to take back her ship and then, like, figure stuff out, I guess. Figuring stuff out is good. I like it, Peter. <laughs> I mean... Janeway is going to have to wake up and there's going to be a, a, a scuffle on the Dauntless. Uh, they'll find a way to communicate per- perhaps by Morse code or something, flashing the running lights. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That's and it was this, it was this episode teaser. that, yeah, so. that was in the teaser. They were like, you know, Oh, we'll fire a phaser beam in Morse code, which I'm like, yeah, but they still think they're, we're shooting don't at fire them. The, don't fire the weapons, flash the running lights. Yeah, Every exactly. man show, flash the running lights. That's what you do. Everybody knows that. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So yeah, so we've got, so in our next two episodes of the show, uh, we will kev- cover 18 and 19, and then we will have an episode where we just uh, break down uh, the season finale and then talk about the series as a whole. So that is what you have to look forward to. But guys, I forgot to give some love to our sponsor before we get into segment two, talking about our new program. So uh, support for Secret Friends Unite is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the, uh, who, who, and who, and who is, they are, uh, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Uh, their products, precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SFU at manscaped.com. As I've always saying, I feel pretty faithful about my math, but Peter, you're the engineer here, so tell me if I've got this right. That's 12 million balls, plus me and Todd and Mark and Todd's bald head. So that's six million <laughs> and seven? Eight? Ish. Ish, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel I feel Unless good. We got a mutant that. in there. Who knows? I could be. Yes, ET editor is the extra testicle that was from Cheech and Chong. Oh boy, I don't know. Is that a little blue? Probably shouldn't have put that in live read. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, it's about men's grooming. So what do you expect? Uh, but anyway, 
great product. I've had it myself since the get-go. Uh, I've used the, the the weed whacker, which is a little ear nose trimmer thing, and I've used the uh, the, the main implement. Very easy with a little light underneath, so you're not going to get any nicks or scrapes. You can clear, kind of clearly see what you're doing. Um, so I've been really happy with it. Highly recommend it. Manscaped.com, code SFU. Still time uh, for the holidays as you're listening to this um, to get that for yourself or for a loved one. But anyway... Gang, we're starting a new show. Star Trek, The Next Generation. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, season three uh, aired in the, uh, kicked off in the fall of 1989. Long, 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 long time ago. Um, and it was funny. I was not f- kind of faithfully watching the show at this point. So Star Trek, The Next Generation for me is kind of weird because it came on in the fall of 1987. I was in sixth grade. So I, start, I was starting a new school, middle school. And the last episode aired in May of 1994 when I graduated from high school. So my whole middle school, high school thing is is TNG nice. bookended. It's just kind of crazy. But I was not a faithful watcher, believe it or not, like watching it every week. And then I got into taping it and pausing out the commercials, which is what, what, this is what real nerds did back in the 90s. Because <laughs> you can have the tapes and watch them over and over again. But I was very sporadic just watching it here and there. But season three... You know, as you find, we're going to go through this in in four parts, so over four episodes uh, of either six or seven segments uh, each, so that we can um, we can talk about each one in a little bit more depth. So, and there's three of us, so we get to go through the reads uh, and um, and each have one. So, who wants to go first? I'll do the first one. Okay, I, I love so- it. Episode one of TNG season three is Evolution, directed by Winrick Colby, story by Michael Piller and Michael Wagner, teleplay by Michael Piller, um, aired on September 25th, 1989. Nanites escape Wesley Crusher's lab and form a collective intelligence threatening the Enterprise as they do. As they do. So yes, Nanites, the ghost in the machine. Um, and nanites come back in and out of things, you know, that gets to be a thing with the Borg or whatever, but a lot of changes this season. Um, you know, we had, uh, new uniforms, the class, yeah, and, and look at, look at that. Look at Peter planned ahead. He's wearing the uniform. <laughs> he's sitting on the bridge. He is Wesley Crusher-ish, maybe early Tom Paris. I don't know, but yeah, they got, the, they got the, they, they got out of the spandex uniforms. They got into these two pieces, which were apparently also incredibly uncomfortable, um, well, they weren't but this finalized was, by the time this episode came out. Yeah, still you're right. Had, like double stitching down the front. Yeah, they were very, they were still very <laughs> snug. And as you as you watch the years the years go by between now and the end of the show, they tend to kind of loosen up a little bit. It, but it's they're, about they're, halfway through this season, I think it's a little yeah. past. Um, yeah, they, uh, I noticed that the enemy, like, actually. They wanted it so like so well fitted, like data. Like Brett Spiner had like two stitchings to like make sure that it. Like, oh right, uh, yeah, I didn't notice that. I was like, guys, like, get some cleaner lines, man. Just cut the fabric better. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. And Brent Spiner in particular was was an issue because he wore a back brace. He had terrible back problems, as I understand it. So uh, that probably didn't help. But the reason that they ditched the spandex is that. Uh, what I've read is that those uniforms were purposefully a size small because they had to stay taut, and I'm sure Brent Spiner in particular problems. They gave everyone back problems, yeah. And uh, I know 
Fra- yeah, Fra- Frank's back problem was he says, well, I used to be a piano mover when I was in college, so my back is toast. Um, so anyway, they did that. We had some promotions. Jordy got promoted to lieutenant commander. Worf got promoted to full lieutenant. Um, Troy is still wearing her cosmic cheerleader outfit. We're a few seasons away for her, you know, looking like a seasoned professional and not looking like she should be on Baywatch. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of mean. And I noticed in particular in several of these episodes is that Whatever they were doing with her face makeup was two oh, or three shades terrible. more red than it was on her body. It was not good. I don't. Well, um, the thing is, I don't so, understand why they would do that either. Because like no one else's makeup looked that bad, but they kept like just giving her right. horrible lipstick colors, and her blush was just yeah. absolutely insane. Oh my goodness! I, well, and, try, well, they kept trying to make her exotic and failed. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't get exotic by being. She's some yeah, kind of I, weird, weird chameleon. Really no yeah. excuse for it, but no doubt about it. So anyway, we we lose the uh, uh, Katie's favorite Starfleet doctor, Doctor Pulaski, is gone, and we get we get Doctor Crusher back, mm-hmm. uh, admittedly with a very short, weird haircut. Um, and so Wesley gets his mom back, which on goes board. away Yay. by episode seven. That's yep. what's so exciting about <laughs> hair, hair in Star Trek. Uh, Janeway is a great example throughout Voyager. Yeah. How many times did her hair go, she had it like in season two, big bun, back to chin length hair, back to the big bun. It, it was great. Everybody wore I think wigs. I read or that they she had, had um, seven different hairstyles through Voyager. Oh, my gosh. Because Just they could not figure out winter. what to do with her hair. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, uh, we're talking an awful lot about fashion and hair and makeup. What did we think about what did we think about the episode? Katie, thoughts about the episode? Um, I thought that the. The nanites and the Wesley Crusher angle was very, very interesting. Um, The uh, Dr. Stubbs um whole thing with his like superiority complex of, well, I must make my mark in history. So I'm going to. Like commit mass genocide because we have figured out like this could be a sentient species of nanites. He's like whatever, yeah. right? And then he's all like, "Oops, my bad." Um, <laughs> I guess it just killed billions of people. Yeah, and then he's like, "I can't, you can't like do that, and you have to protect me." I'm like, no, you <laughs> like, you nope. didn't act for <laughs> no. Like you're you're worse than Hitler at this point because I'm pretty sure you've killed a lot more nanites like things like maybe not worse oh than Hitler God. in IRL but you know you know I would put nanite Hitler as the 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 title of this episode but I feel like Hitler would get his flag so we're gonna back away from that one yeah we're gonna back away from that <laughs> but nanite yeah. Hitler oh my God yeah <laughs> but he was. He, he was phenomenally obnoxious and he was trying to reach across to be Wesley. Like Wesley, I was like you, I was a child prodigy, but now I'm an asshole. So take a look in the mirror. This is what you got waiting for you. Oh my God. Yeah. Not a very nice guy. Um, and then he gets all flirty with Troy, which is gross because she's like, I Oh, can see absolutely. That, you know, yeah. And he can see, she's like, well, I can see through you. The fact that you're just kind of a pompous dickwad. And he was like, well, you know, blah, 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 this and that. And yeah, he's obsessed with baseball. He's just a weird character. And mm-hmm. uh, it's great. It's, it, you know, and in the end of it, obviously everything works out. They made peace with the nanites. He's still able to do his experiment, but yeah, there's no consequences for him because it's, you know, famous in episodic television. You're like, all right, well, he just got to leave and didn't get in trouble for endangering I mean, the ship with all his, we never and, know. 
And Wesley doesn't get in trouble because he released nanites that could have, you know, with a thousand people on the Enterprise, somebody could have gotten killed throughout all of yeah. the stuff that happened with the ship. So, um, well, but I mean, yes, I would be fine we, with Wesley not having consequences because, like, he was just trying to do his Starfleet homework on top of all of his Starfleet duty. Like, he's got a lot of stuff going right. on. So, like, sure, accidents right. happen, but that dude purposely killed millions possibly billions of life forms because he wanted to make sure his experiment was able to happen and nearly destroyed the entire ship. Yeah. Kind of a, kind of a thumbs down. should have consequences. (laughs) Exactly. But yes, you know, it'd be great to get a a lower decks episode where we find out he's in jail and the nanites are coming for, or maybe the nanites are going to rescue him. I don't know. Maybe that'll be the peanut hammer. (gasps) Agamus. Yes. Oh my God! Yes, they get together with nanites, and we're like, we never got Doctor Stubbs. <laughs> oh, dead, no, no. So, it'll be uh, the establishing uh, moment. They kill him. Yes. Oh no, we're dangerous, and now they go do whatever shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, ensign two or uh, episode two, the instance of command episode I don't understand, uh, directed by Cliff Bowl, uh, veteran of the series. Uh, Melinda Snodgrass was the writer, again, big name in TNG from October of 1989. Data must persuade a stubborn colony. It's not really a stubborn colony. It's just the one freaking asshole guy. Right? Uh, to evacuate their homeland under the threat of a powerful and mysterious race, the Sheliak never see them again. I'm bummed out. But they are, um, but anyway, I thought this was a cool episode to get Data kind of on his own um, because, you know, they, they, they get this distress call from this planet that, you know, a century before a ship crashed with this horrible radiation, they figure, oh, nobody's alive, but there's a distress call. So obviously somebody's down there, they at least want to make sure. So they send Data down in the shuttle pod and uh, there's a couple people knocking around down there. Oh, our, you know, ancestors figure out how to get around the radiation, blah, blah, blah. And he meets a, he meets a, young lady who falls in love with him because he's an android. Uh, kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. but, and then, yeah, the leader of the colony is this dude, Goshevin, and he's, he's, he's Trump. He's like, well, you know, that's not going to happen because we've got the best blah, 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 and we, I've never seen a Shellyac, and we're not leaving because this thing and that thing. He was. He's Star Trek's Trump. He's very Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I would say, sorry for talking politics, but I have a very hard time believing that anybody who's a MAGA hat listens to our program. And if I you do, also, you're watching help. Star Trek. How would it not yes. be political? <laughs> that is a subject, as Data would say, a subject of protracted discussion. Why people like that watch Star Trek? Because it's just, ugh. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot off of the political angle. Um, but uh, yeah, so what's happening is that this planet was part of a treaty years back that this weird race that we've never heard from heard about before and never end up seeing again, that is that they're immensely powerful. They're called the Sheliak. He's just, he's a basically, he's a big oil blob that not only looks like the thing that killed Tashiar back in season one in the, in the episode that was her swan song, The Skin of Evil, but it's voiced by the same dude. So it's essentially, it's like, that's, that's Armistice's cousin. familiar. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, but it is. It was a dude's name is, I think, Mark, Mart, Mark or Mart McChesney. I just remember, just because it's a weird name, I remember it. And he's a stuntman or a voice actor who has a, a penchant for wearing a suit and going. That's what the whole thing, the sh- if you're watching YouTube, you can see this. All he does is he kind of waves his arm like, the, he looks like a guy playing an accordion. That's his yeah. whole, nah, nah, nah. He's, he's the weird owl of Star Trek. Definitely <laughs> not um, uh, Doug Jones level quality of uh, work there. No. <laughs> 
I know exactly <laughs> correct. Um, but I, you know, I I remember I remember enjoying this episode, but I remember just being super bummed out that we didn't see the Shellyak again because they were mysterious. They didn't, you know, they're they're they were very to the letter with this treaty. So it's like on, you know, December 3rd, we can, that colony spot is ours. And they're like, we need three weeks to get a colony ship to get our people out of where they were. And like, nope, December 3rd, we're going to be there. And uh, if they're there, we're going to annihilate them. So it's just like, okie dokie. Um, and then they managed to find a legal loophole to. Exactly. More yeah. Anyway. So that, <laughs> anyway. That's what I couldn't understand. I was like, I feel like if the, sh- if the Shelliac are way smarter than us, why did they have, like, why did they think to write a 500,000 word document if the problem with their language is that it's very like wibbly wobbly and they don't like then at that point it should like the fewer words the better because then there's less to interpret right exactly well they well they missed that part um (laughs) uh, they they missed the part that humans like to find loopholes exactly they 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 didn't They did not see through the splendor that is legal plot armor in Federation law. (laughs) Uh, So, um, but yeah, I would, I I, I love the bit at the end where Picard like wouldn't take their call. They're like, he's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. And I have this race that's going to take over and uh, they're in hibernations for six months. So you either give me my three weeks or we wait six months. And then he terminates and then the guy calls back and he walks over to the edge of the bridge to look at the plaque. He's like, oh, is it dusty or something? I I thought that was cute. Uh, and he was like, oh, you enjoyed that record. He's like, you're damn right I did. And so, yeah, he wrestles into submission. Um, the weird girl. Always fun to put yes. self-righteous people in their place. The weird girl gives Data <laughs> a kiss. He can, Data convinces the, the, the Trump guy that they got to leave. And also and Data, Data has well, a wonderful. He does so by blowing up their water supply. Let's yes. be clear. It's not a convincing. It's a force. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in retrospect, that's not so great. So of morals and lessons, that's not a great one. Good no. point. <laughs> so like, I mean, th- they didn't want to leave their land and they were being jerks about it, but yeah. he didn't convince them. He just forced the issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, by and he shot a he shot a couple of people, a couple of the he colonists. Stunned like two guys, yeah. which yeah. you know, stunning, whatever. But yeah, whatever. I'm just saying, so, he so, blew so, up the so water supply. That's so. a very good point. So, oh my goodness. Well, speaking of uh, you know, people not doing so great, factors very heavily into the next episode. Katie, this one's yours. All right, this one is The Survivors, directed by Les Landu and written by Michael Wagner. Um, And this one aired October 9th of 1989. And it's when the Enterprise investigates the last two survivors of an annihilated world as the entire surface has been destroyed except for their property. And this was some real Google Earth stuff where it's like literally a square of green (laughs) over entire desolation of the rest of the planet. Um, And it was, it's, yeah. Go ahead, please. Oh, I was going to say, um, I usually am not so much for the tropey, like, grumpy old man with, you know, the caring, sweet, you know, kind of grandmotherly, um, right. you know, partner. But uh, I think it was just because John Anderson and Anne Haley did such an amazing job with these two characters. Like, um, Haney especially, I just loved her character. And I'm like, I was kind of bummed, you know, at the big reveal at the end, which is that um, Kevin, who is... Uh, you know, the one who's alive, he's, they've been going back and forth where the planet was supposed to be, have been destroyed by this race of, uh, started with an H, help me out, insects. Husnack, Husnack, yeah. Husnack, and then um, they find, the Enterprise finds them, 
then the Husnut come back, supposedly. Enterprise chases and then realizes that they're being led astray. So they come back and then the Husnut come back, but they're way stronger. So they nearly destroy the Enterprise before they leave. And then Picard starts figuring out that this is kind of all a ruse. Meanwhile, um, they're having Troy act absolutely batshit because she's got a song stuck in her head. Um, and it's the classic, you know, late 80s over-dramatized kind of acting. Uh, it <laughs> won't stop! At, Make yeah, it stop! From it. Um, but it ends up where this this guy, Kevin, is actually this immortal entity um, where there's a lot of immortal entities in Star Trek. I wonder if, like, the Q and Kevin get together and have, like, afternoon tea and talk about their immortality sometimes. You think? Because, um, yeah, again, it's a great example of something that is just never touched again. Yeah. Because they, never they, they leave him. Again. Yeah. They leave um, him on the planet because they're like, well, that's punishment enough that he gets left because he did this whole thing and whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. And because, so yeah, he, that's what that's what. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. Because he uh, ends up that everybody had died. And um, as the immortal entity that could have wiped out and saved the planet and chose not to because he, you know, is believes in nonviolence. He had a moment of insanity and completely obliterated the entire race of uh, the people Whoops. who attacked him. Yeah. And I mean, Picard's head. answer was very accurate when Kevin's like, okay, you know, do with me what you will. And he's like, we literally don't have laws that would deal with that. So I'm not really sure right. what, and so also I'm like, he's an immortal beating that destroyed an entire race with a thought. How are we going right. to punish you? Like, what are we going to do? Genocide. Yeah. Yeah. He just exactly. went exactly. <laughs> With, with yeah, a so that ship and all the yeah, and this is why we don't hear. That's why we don't know anything about the Husnak, and we hadn't heard of, about them before. But yeah, and I we just will not um, again. We <laughs> this this episode also gave us the classic wharf line uh, as he's sitting there because he and Picard beam down one of the subsequent times <laughs> when they want to have conversations with uh, Kevin and Rashawn. So and he's sitting there. He's sitting there with a cup of tea, and they're like. Uh, Oh, and she says, how do you, how, how do you like you? Blah, 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 Mr. Worf. And he's like, good tea. Nice house. <laughs> like, well, later, later. Such... A sip, yeah, a sip of tea. And you yeah. can very clearly see him grimace. And so teasingly, right. the wife asks how he likes yeah. the tea. <laughs> right. As a, 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 a Klingon who's a good diplomat, you know, yeah, being yep. very diplomatic. You he's know, Worf, trying. along with other, other such great Worf classics as nice legs. For a human. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on another great wharf line. Give, give me another one. Mm, Toss me another that, one. Toss me another one, Peter. From that episode? Or just, oh, anyway. or just in general. Yeah. A wharf line? Yeah. A Sir, good I must protest. I am not, I am a, not merry a merry man. man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Peter, Peter, your thoughts on the episode? Um, it worked. It worked. Um, I think the whole Troy with the music thing just kind of annoyed the living daylights out of me. And so yeah. it just kind of tainted the rest of the episode. Very sitcom. Um, Katie had a point like, without a doubt. As you say, the acting was very, very good with the two on the planet. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not one of the episodes that I go back to regularly. Like I'm going to watch an episode of TNG. How about the survivors? Right. right Cause it really seems like in the first chunk of the season, they were building towards something that I, I think certainly found a stride. And as we'll talk about in many episodes to come, 
Um, you know, kind of that that the the second quarter and, and then getting into that last half, I think they found a stride. But they were still yeah. kind of struggling through, Katie, some of the things that you and I talked about in season two that it's just like, why can't they I mean, they were, a, I mean, they were, they were getting better. I mean, they yeah. had Michael yeah. Pillar finally. And so they were they had like a, a direction, but they were right. still like. Right. Finally yeah, and this episode and I mean, is, by the end of the season, they figure it out. Yeah, so. it was it was good kind of despite the bad parts that they had. Yeah. Right. In spite of. So, all right, moving on. Uh, episode four is Who Watches the Watchers, uh, directed by Robert uh, Weimer. Uh, Richard Manning and Hans uh, Weimer are the writers from October of 1989. Troy and Riker must rectify the damage done when two primitives from Intaka 3. Oh, that's primitives. That's Proto-Vulcans. Let's call yeah, them by pro- their real description. Proto-Vulcans of the Bronze Age. I don't think that that's really primitive, so that's kind of No, weird. they're not primitive. Primitive, I think of like, you know, cavemen or Neanderthals no, or whatever. these are like yeah. mid yeah. yeah, they were Bronze really. Yeah, yeah they, were, they said they were Bronze Age technology, but it seemed like they were even more advanced right. than that as far as like their housing right. a little bit went. For construction, yeah. yeah. Weapons. Yeah. Are- there. Yeah, because even it's uh, the spoken is that, you know, we used to live in caves, now we live in huts because we figured out how to make them. Anyway, uh, they're on Mintaka 3. They catch a glimpse of a Federation observation team in a, in a duck blind, so a, a holograph cover, you know, a cloaking device covered, um, which is funny, that's a cloaking device, which uh, the Federation is not supposed to have. Hmm. It, it wasn't a cloaking device, it was a holographic projection. Oh, very good. But... <laughs> oh, that's right. Because it, it, well, and they do it again in Insurrection, so it's like it's mm-hmm. a thing. But that, they make that's how we know it's a holographic projection because they make a like big a, deal about it in Insurrection. Right, <laughs> such a big deal about it. But anyway, they see the observation time behind this holographic projection and conclude that Captain Picard is a god. Oh man! Finally, uh, someone yes. recognizes his genius. I know. He's like, it's everything I've ever wanted. And this one guest starred uh, actor Ray Wise, who has been in absolutely everything, including this one of the bad guys in RoboCop and a million other things that you've seen since then. And they had, um, and I realized this watching it, and I feel like I'd I'd heard that this woman had been in, like she had a bit part in uh, Star Trek at some point. There's a show on Showtime that I love starring uh, an actress, her name is Pamela Adlin, and she went on to have some different shows. She's a comedian, comedic actress, absolutely hilarious. As a, like, 16 or 17-year-old kid, she was the daughter, which I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's Marcy from Californication. That was, that was a weird one for me. Um, but anyway, this is one of those kind of pivotal Star Trek episode-ish kind of uh, episodes. And I, th- I, think it was really, I think it was really stellar, yeah. So, Peter, your thoughts? Um, this is one of my favorite episodes, actually. Um, not only because of the continuity, because the Mintakan tra- tapestry sticks through. Yep. Through Nemesis, he keeps it um, on the back of his back of the chair in his office. Keeps it on the back of his chair, like that connection stays. Um, but also, just like the reason the Prime Directive exists, um, mm-hmm. like uh, that that old trope. I don't remember if it was Asimov or somebody else, but said that like. Uh, technology if advanced enough would be indistinguishable from magic and um and they play that very well here where you have like it's just technology but it looks like the power of the divine here right um and so this one guy mistakes that and then starts like doing what people who don't understand things do and like i am going to speak for the divine now because i have had an encounter with with it um right and dangerous things come from that right um, exactly yeah so i liked and, yeah. how they did that yeah. i liked how picard eventually had to 
um, like I am not God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it basically and, boiled down to like strike me, do I not bleed? Sort of deal. But right, um, so you and, shot yeah, your and, overseer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah what right. Do like do? it's a. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Like it's a self help video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me look this up on YouTube. What do I do? What, or whatever the hell YouTube would be at a for a Bronze Age proto Volcanoid human uh, um, tube <laughs> or something. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, Scratched wall. Scratch wall. <laughs> oh, that's almost a better uh, name for the episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna dine on that one. Um, Katie, Katie, what do you think? I would also agree that this is a very great episode. I mean, it really wraps around like the desperation. What you find with Ray Wise's character isn't so much that like he had this experience and that he, you know, just is being illogical about refusing to believe it. It's really that he's, you know, he lost his wife last year. You find that out and that Mm -hmm. he's just desperate for some sort of miracle and some sort of way to bring her back. And so he's like, well, no, you have to be able to do that, which ends up leading to him shooting Picard in the shoulder with a bow and arrow, Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is great when you meet your, your diviner for the, you know, face to face for the first time, really. God walks in. Yeah, you know, just to exactly. just to prove, I. It's cool. See if it passes through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got, I, I got it. <laughs> um, but exactly. I did, yeah, Yikes. I did very much enjoy, like, watching Picard go through the logic and reasoning of convincing, um, their leader when she they brought her aboard the ship of you know the steps of progress and why just because she thinks that this is a miracle and that the magic that he's or magic quote unquote that he's doing isn't actually that it's just the fact that he is, um, you know, that they're more advanced and that it's very possible they can get to that point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, this was, this was Star Trek 101, clearly a classic Um, without a doubt. I I think proving that this season is, is going to end up being a game changer for the series. You know, they really Mm -hmm. hit it on. This was one of those. I remember watching it because I've talked in a lot of the, and you'll see on my, my profile on our secret friends unite, you know, meet our gang page is that my parents were both trekkers. Um, And this was when we would go and visit my dad once a month. My dad lived in the Detroit area. We live in Grand Rapids. My dad, we would always watch TNG because it was on TV 50 on Saturday and we would sit down and watch it. And my dad, who is, you know, otherwise kind of, you know, he's a manly man and he's in hunting and fishing and all this different stuff, loves Star Trek and loves Star Trek The Next Generation, like from the get go. So this was an episode I remember sitting and watching and, and, and you know, he's like, shh, we're watching Star Trek. Everybody shut up. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember this one in particular. So awesome. Good deal. All right. Moving on to, uh, did I read? No, I read that one. So Peter, it's back to you. Oh, I get the ringers. Okay. Um, (laughs) Episode five, The Bonding, uh, directed by Winrick Colby, written by Ronald D. Moore. I think this is one one of his first. first. Yeah, big time. Ron Uh, Moore is the guy. Yeah, Ron Moore is a big deal. If you did not know, he is a big deal. Yes, Um, like Ron Burgundy. Aired October 23rd, 1989. A mysterious entity seeks to comfort a boy who has lost his mother in an accident on its planet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has like, <laughs> it, it doesn't, this episode handles death in, a, in an interesting way. Um, like you have Worf's reaction to it. You have the captain's reaction to it. And then you have the boy's reaction to it. So you have like guilt and Wesley's. denial and 
and yeah, Wesley's oh, too. Yeah, Wesley. Yeah. We were dealing with uh, his yeah. his father. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, best uh, Wesley Beverly uh, interaction is, is in this episode that you yeah. ever saw. Yeah. Probably one of the very best. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's it's interesting how this deals with that. Uh, it's not the first. Ep- it's not the only episode that does this. Uh, Hero worship does this a little later. Yep. Yeah. Um, in it, but in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but it's interesting how like you have. Worf is trying to like, I'm, I'm going to like adopt the boy and take care of him because I feel responsible, which, you know, is an honorable thing. That's um, great. He doesn't choose to do that with his thing. own son in a couple of years, I but mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. say Worf was perfect. Right, exactly. Um, but so you have Worf trying to do this, but then you also have this alien that apparently also feels responsible for the fact that this boy's mother died on the planet. And it's like, okay, well I'm going to take care of him, but my version of taking care of him is I'm going to give him a facsimile of his mother. And then basically we're going to play house on, on my planet as he for grows the re- up for the I'll... rest of his life. Yeah. So it's yeah, just like, which yeah, is it's like, not... and so you have this like whole thing about do we, we can't dwell in the past. Like the past needs to form us and shape us. And we need to respond to it. Um, we can't ignore that it happened, but we do need to take a step forward. We can't just live there because it's not coming back. And like this facsimile of his mother, she's not real. Like she could act like her. She could sound like her, but it's not actually his mother. Right. And so eventually at the end of the episode, you do have him accepting Worf's offer and becoming an honorary member of the house of Moog. Right. Uh, more or less. <laughs> um, that story plotline is never pursued ever again. Say, Wait, it's which is so sad. I know, Wait, and it's, like, it's, it's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely less. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, this in <laughs> the house of the house of Moog is a bad one because they're they're the roller coaster house of the Klingon Empire. They're they're powerful. They're nothing. They're powerful. They're nothing, and eventually they're disbanded. And Worf joins the house of. Martok, yeah. and so what happens? This I know that this this kid, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Two things about like him: the Jeremy or something. Well, no, no, the the actor, the actor. I don't remember the actor. Oh, the actor. Two, I don't know the actor. two <laughs> things about it is that this actually did get a sequel in the um, DC Star Trek: Next Generation comic line, which ran for oh, about a okay. hundred issues from the late '80s to about the mid '90s. Um, so yeah, that that series was pretty famous for doing sequels. Like they brought Okana back. They ended up bringing back Ardra, who was the con woman in season four. Oh, back Ardra. Yeah, yeah. There was this, there, that's an interesting one. And the the, the problem with those DC um, Star Trek series is that it's not a problem. They're not canon, but you also really can't find them anymore because the license is lost and they weren't really republished. So you can't find IDW has a Star Trek license now and they have for last 20 years. You can't find them anymore. And much like the first run of Marvel star Wars, most of the stories are garbage. So, um, but anyway, um, Katie, your thoughts about this one. Yeah. I thought that it was um, some better handling on, um, just emotional intelligence and dealing with death and having to move on. Like they gave Troy some really great moments as far as um, like her interactions with Worf and being like, Hey, you know, you are grieving in a certain way, but you also need to consider how he's grieving. And, you know, that's going to be the most important thing because it was his mom. It was Jeremy's mom that passed. Um, And even if you feel responsible, he's not responsible for your feelings, even though he might feel like he is. Um, Right. So I thought that was really, really great. They finally let her be an actual counselor versus her like doing the damsel in distress thing that they happen. 
Yeah, Captain, right. I sense that there's someone who's going to be talking on the screen. Yes, Troy, I see them. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. Go fix your mess up. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Like, they just usually do not give uh, her character any justice, but um, I thought they did a really, really great job. And, like, even the – I feel like it was a good growing moment for Picard and Wesley when Wesley is like, you know, I hated you for the longest right? time because you survived. And, you know, my dad did Survivor's guilt, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought it was uh, there was a good character moment for most of the characters in this, save uh, you know Data, who we get plenty of Data, and Jordy didn't mm-hmm. really have anything. To do, but even Riker got a moment with Data. Well, I guess you know he and Data had an exchange in Ten Four Rikers. Sitting there. That was one thing I noticed about Riker. Oh yeah, He's that was really, really good. He was really weird drinking. He's drinking this pink beverage, which I assume is probably pink lemonade. But he t- he drinks it, and then he goes. He grimaces like it's like the strongest moonshine you've ever drank, and he does it twice. And I'm like, "What kind of funky pink lemonade drink is that?" Is it <laughs> it's just something a little weird I mean, that if I know. The mix is off and it's super sour. Who knows? Yeah, mm, yeah. Who sour, knows? sour, sour pink lemonade moonshine. Look that one up. Look, look that mm. one up in Guinan Specialty. But uh, oh, oh man. All right, uh, Katie. Moving on. Next one's you. Yes. So we have. Um, Booby Trap, um, that was directed by um, Gabrielle Beaumont, or Beaumont, um, story by Michael Wagner and Ron Roman, and teleplay by Ron Roman and Michael Piller and Richard Dennis. And it was aired October 30th, 1989. And when the Enterprise falls victim to an ancient booby trap set to snare star trips and drain their power supply. Well, it in effort to find an escape, Lieutenant Dirty LaForge finds himself falling for the holodex representation of an accomplished Federation engineer, Dr. Alea Brahms. And this is when we find out that Jordy just really wants to fuck the warp core. <laughs> oh, I wish I could make that the title of this episode. Jordy, asterisk it out, I guess. Yes, Jordy's warp core flashlight. Oh my God! Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, this episode is all about the, the kind of the pity of Jordy. But anyway, please continue. Yeah, and the thing is, it was one of those again where I really loved the concept of them falling into this trap and trying to escape. But then you had this weird thing of Jordy. It starts with Jordy on a very awkward date, and then he has it does not go well, and so he goes to Guide, and he's like, "I don't, you know, I can't talk to her, and it's not making any sense." He asks Guinan if she considers herself a woman, and she's like, uh, "Last time I checked, yes." And he's like, "Well, I can't, I can talk to you, but I can't talk to anyone else." And it's this light bulb moment of Jordy. If you treat women like people, maybe, maybe they would want to talk to you. I know it's crazy instead so, of being all yeah, yeah, because like he's, he's around, on a, yeah. Yeah, and then it turns around and he creates a hollow program, and that's the only woman that he apparently can get any play with because he kisses her at yeah. the end and then immediately shuts the program down. Right. He was like, "Well, I had a good run. I'm all set." Yeah, because yeah, yeah you, you see him speaking of the holiday. You see him in the beginning of the episode with uh, Christy, who uh, her name is Christy, and she was um, actress Julie Warner. She was if you. I'll throw the, I, I'm not even going to bother to throw out the name of a 90s movie called Doc Hollywood, which she was the star of. With but Michael you just did. Anybody? <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I try so hard with you kids to see if you get my <laughs> obscure, so. obscure growing up in the 90s pop like, culture I'm not going to mention this movie and then immediately mentions movie. I just because I couldn't think of something else she was in. Oh my god, I know it's terrible, um, but it's funny because you end up seeing her uh, again. And the sequel to this episode, where we meet the real Leia Brahms at the end of season four, is priceless. 
absolutely priceless because Jordy gets this lesson in. Well, the holodeck kind of, you know, it's like watching porn. You kind of seeing what you want to see, or so I've heard because, you know, I don't do that. Never have. <laughs> what? Um, but, um, yeah, uh, wh- uh, okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I like to yeah, dig least. yourself into this hole a little bit deeper, Charlie. <laughs> I'm looking for the shovel. We're not going to save you. Uh, <laughs> Oh, okay. You see China yet? That's a good plan. Um, Peter, your thoughts? Save me, please. (laughs) Um, I thought this episode was fine. Um, I did like the the situation there, and I did like how they had to figure the bit out uh, to, like, use inertia and stuff, and we get to see some mad piloting skills from Captain Picard. Oh, yeah. We can smile. Push his buttons. Yeah. Yeah. He, but yeah, he didn't even have a joystick. We get like the ship doing this weird like Yeah, like, that, back that and was forth and slingshot. Yeah. That was um, fun. Yeah. I did like so that. like there's a lot of fun stuff with the technology and the situation that they're in. Right. Um I do agree that the whole bit with Leah Brahms is a little weird. But Jordy right. dug his own grave in, yeah. in a oh, sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, right. He's trying to get the logs, and so it's like it's too sanitized. I can't really listen to it. Okay, I mean, fair enough, Jordy. Like maybe have someone else. Like, but then it's like let's do a, a, a holodeck approximation of the person who wrote the logs. Why don't you just make some generic person? Right. Right. Yeah. Who can like you know like or you know, make randomly generated Moriarty to be do to yeah. do things? Or, Why don't you just generate like, some? Why not Badgie? It could have been Badgie. Or, or that, mm-hmm. yeah. But like, yeah. so it's like, so it's it's entertaining to a point where you're just like, okay, he's talking. Like, there are a few moments where it's like, I'm the creator of the engines, and there's a little bit back and forth. But you, you have more of that when she shows up for real, um, mm-hmm. which is way funnier. So I think for me, it's more Someone, like yeah. placing this in contrast to the actual right. leah brahms which is just funny to me totally. so when yeah. i'm watching it i'm like I'm like this isn't great but i know what he's digging himself into for later and so i'm right. laughing at his own stupidity which right I, maybe i shouldn't be, have so much schadenfreude for jordy because he gets picked on a lot but he did this to himself and i know it's I bad, yeah, so I bad think, i think that's what bugs me is because i do really love jordy and they like yeah, they do this kind of stuff to him. I'm like, he's smarter than this. Like, yeah, it, come they on, do the classic. Guys. Like, he's a he's a nerd, and so he has no social skills. It's like, I mean, again, you you would think did. one of the most most basic would be, and again, we see that later in the season when we get introduced to Dwight Schultz as Barkley, is that people can get really addicted to the holodeck. But yeah, how hard is it to separate, you know, that yeah. like, well, this is Jordy, not a real person. Jordy doesn't. So there, yeah. he does have that going for him. He, does, he doesn't mm-hmm. live in the holodeck with this version of Leia yeah, Rums. Okay. He, he totally, yeah, he totally understands that he wants to just fuck the warp core. I mean, she literally says, you know, when, you, when you're looking at it, you're looking at me. Oh, and when you're touching when you it, touch you're, touching engine, you're touching me. I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, I, do you mean you want him to touch a different engine? What exactly is going on here? <laughs> Arm, chicka, arm, arm. Oh, yeah. Star Trek yeah. After Dark. Some of those lines were a little like, it was, oh, yeah. no. It was, I oh. wish that they would just stuck with, with the Picard and the ship in the bottle because watching Patrick Stewart act like a giddy little kid who got to like play archaeologist right. was adorable. Right. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. Fun. 
Better than watching Jody trying to fuck the warp core. Anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> Our last episode uh, for this week is uh, episode seven is The Enemy, directed by J- uh, David Carson. Big shout in the series. David Kemper and Michael Piller wrote it from November of 1989. Jordy, two Jordy episodes in a row. And what a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Having a great time, not having such a great time. <laughs> he's, he's trapped on a harsh planet, which I, I love it. The Galorndon core. Because you never, that, that's such a weird, like, name for a planet, right? Like, the mm-hmm. core. I don't know. Like it was, and uh, ends, up, ends up getting a callback in the two-parter with Spock in season five. They go they end up having to go there again. Um, harsh planet with a hostile Romulan named Bakra, John Snyder. Uh, but the two must work together to survive. Aw, togetherness. Um, I dug it. This is the first. This is a good this episode. Is, yeah, yeah, this is like maybe the third or fourth appearance of the Romulans in the series. Uh, remember that back in TOS, the the Klingons were favored over the Romulans for makeup reasons. Like, we can't afford all those ears. That was the line of why you saw the Romulans like three or four times, but the Klingons were like always there. Because it's easier to paint guys brown and give them little mustaches, I guess. But with this, it was the other way around because now the Klingons are big, expensive, fancy makeups and fancy outfits where the Romulans are wearing like tin foil and they have ears with little head stuff and, you know, I guess it was easier to do. They wanted to make the Romulans a bigger threat. So this was a great piece of this, and we get the first of a few appearances by uh, actor, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Andreas Kasulis, who was on Babylon 5, which is a show mm-hmm. that I will not watch. Peter, you and I have had this discussion about Babylon 5. I'm in the middle of watching it for the first time. It's interesting, but you have I, to get past season one. Oh, and we, we can't. <laughs> like okay, I was, I, was, I was talking to Peter about this a couple of days ago. I have a client uh in you know in my work life that loves this loves babylon 5 which was i don't know if you're all familiar another sci-fi show from the 90s yes and again very primitive special effects and i'm like well you know maybe if i look past that i'll find it better but just april and i watched one or two episodes it was to us it was way too painful to keep going it was just not well acted didn't love the story but i digress Many thoughts about Babylon 5 versus DS9 because they were on the same time. But anyway. Um, so anyway, you, you see you, you see this this actor. He's the Roman commander. He wants to get his guy back, but he's on the other side of the neutral zone. Which, again, this was a great little primer on why you don't go into the neutral zone, which they're doing in Prodigy right now. And everybody's like, well, they're in the neutral zone, but, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The Romulans are in there, too, and it's not a big deal. It's a very big, it's a very big deal. For a Romulan to be flying around in the neutral zone, Picard proves that in this because, you know, once yeah. they come out of it because they're coming to rescue their guy, um, Picard's ready to blow him up. So yeah. I mean, uh, it's interesting in Prodigy that it's still a big deal because we've already had Nemesis. So the the relations between the two are we're not sure where they are. They haven't talked about it, but it's right, neither here nor there. Very, very true. But um, you know, this is a uh, this is you know combines a lot of great. Trekkie kind of elements. Wesley's mm-hmm. got a way to save the day because he makes this beacon that Jordy can see with his visor, even though he's on this planet where, you know, terrible weather, Jordy falls in a big slimy pit and has to claw his way out. That was pretty cool. Um, and then, the, yeah, and then this Romulan guy. But back on the ship, there were two Romulans, one of whom they found and the other one who found Jordy that we didn't know about. And the guy on the ship is dying and Crusher's working on him and says, well, the only thing that can fix him is if I get a DNA sample from Worf. <laughs> she calls Worf down and I, she's, she says, this Romulan didn't kill your parents and you're the only one who can save his life. To which Worf responds, here's a classic, stands up, all the sincerity in the world, then he will die and leaves the mm-hmm. room. 
Wow. Talk about sticking to your guns. I'm impressed. And even in that dying conversation where the Romulan's like, come close to me, Klingon. I want to die with my hands at your throat. And Worf says, well, you know, I'm the only one who can save your life. They, they need my DNA. He's like, so you've come to hear me beg for my life. Uh, I would rather die than pollute my body with Klingon filth. To which point I said Worf would just turn around and say, all right, cool. Take the sample. Let's do this. Right. That, I was totally expecting Worf to give him the sample right. at that point. Because Worf is a sassy bitch. Just out of spite. Yeah. yeah. Just out of He's spite. He's very sassy. He yeah, exactly. I feel like he, that's exactly what Worf would have done. It's been like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's, let's corrupt you with my Klingon filth. <laughs> right. Well, Kind of, but Worf also said no originally, and Worf is really good at being like, I said no, that's it. Right, and I think I think I had read, and I agree with this, at some point that, you know, I mean, Worf is the character, Kay, you and I have talked about this, he's the character in Star Trek that has had the most screen time, the most development, because he Mm -hmm. was in the entirety of this series, he was in half of DS9, and then he was in the TNG movies as well, and now we're getting him back in Picard, so... This was, in this article I was reading, in the opinion of this writer, it was kind of too early in Worf's development for him to be kind of non-Klingon enough or, or human enough to say, well, you know, someone's in distress. And even though I'm, you know, even though I hate Romulans because, you know, they were responsible for the death of my parents, I'm going to do this thing because it's the right thing. Nope. Worf says, nope. All Romulans are my entity. Fuck this guy. And, and yep. he stuck to his gun. Yep, even so when Picard I, asked him, he was like, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. But interestingly and, and, enough, they respected his decision. They yes. didn't go around him and right. extract blood and, and stuff from him anyway, which is right. something that I think is worthy of note. Oh, absolutely. A lot, of, yes. a, a lot of people would be like, oh, well, Worf said no. Well, it's the right thing to do. We need to do it anyway. You mean like, 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 uh, okay, we discussed last week about Tuvix, you know, yeah. eventually, yeah, yeah, it was the right thing to do, uh, but yeah, she didn't, um, and then it was funny, but as soon as Picard had that conversation with Worf, he calls Crusher and say, well, okay, well, Worf's out, he says, well, it's not a big deal because the guy's dead. Like, oh, okay, that mm-hmm. was bad timing. Maybe we should have met 20 minutes ago when I kept working on him. So, uh, right, yeah, because so if you would have thought, said yes, then it would have been really shitty. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, Damn it. Oh, well. Yeah, I guess yeah. I should have moved this up in my afternoon meetings that we could have talked an hour ago. My bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, But anyway, you know, I thought I thought it was great. But anyway, well, that uh, – other thoughts about the episode, Katie? Um, I just thought that the way that – I don't know if you guys noticed how Brockra was standing when he – when Jordy woke up. <laughs> he was, They had him, like, crouched half Spider-Man style. Right. And it was oh, yeah. very – straight because i'm just like i'm like i really just wanted her to be like i'm sorry i can't take you seriously when you were like half lunging and like a lunge you're, stance you're, at me because you're, you're like yeah. yeah it was very funny and it just the way the mannerisms that they had bakra ha- just were very strange with how he was behaving so and i'm also irritated with how it seems like the romulans can get away with anything because like if if Federation right. would have gone into the neutral zone, even if it was a legit thing where one of our starships had crashed because yeah, of a navigation been, error, never, like yeah. right. it, like Enterprise would have been shot out of the sky as soon as we entered the Romulan area, and they're just exactly. like, yeah. no, they're obviously lying, obviously lying, obviously lying. Okay, well, I guess we'll just let them go again. Like there's just zero consequences. Right. Yeah, no, I mean yeah, that's exactly. how it's been that way for ever and, yeah. yeah well you're, yeah exactly yeah you're right it's the neutral zone but you know it'd be kind of great if you stayed out of it but 
Well, you know, as long as you turn around and leave, I think we're going to be done. More like yeah. guidelines than actual yeah. rules. Exactly. More like guidelines, <laughs> it's to- really. It's really, it's a total, uh, it's a total Barbosa scenario. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, well, that wraps up our first seven episodes of TNG. So overall, how are we feeling about season three? Are we, uh, let, let's give a, a favorite and a least favorite. Peter, you first. Um, my favorite out of this would probably have to be who watches the watchers. Um, it's just a great episode. It's, it's one that I'm not always a fan when star Trek touches religion, but they do manage to do it well here and handle it and how technology and all that, uh, plays into it. So it's just a really well done episode. Excellent. Um, Cool. And at least, and at least, um, the least for me, um, probably the survivors mostly just cause the music stuff just drove me bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't let it go. No, I totally understand. Katie, how about you? Um, I would definitely have to agree that who watches the watchers was really solid. Um, I think that ends up being one of the best of the season. And, um, I think booby trap would probably have to be my least favorite just cause of the, like, just <laughs> super cliche of, you know, Jordy being a nerd and wanting to fuck his computer. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'll do the, I'll go uh, worse than best. Agreed with booby trap. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the warp core fleshlight is not a sexy thing for jury to be into. So um, the the episode is only redeemed at the end of next season when we meet the real Leah Brahms. And it's not all, you know, sunshine and roses, but I really liked, uh, I really liked the bonding. Um, I love Ron Moore. This was his kind of his debut or, or close to it. Um, and I thought the fact that every character, including, you know, the guest actors really got a beautiful turn, um, to show in some ways, kind of a different side of their personality. And you get a nice kind of quantum leap forward with Worf and, and getting to learn a little bit more about him and how he feels about things. And I love the Beverly and Wesley moment. That was, that was, that was a tough one. That was definitely a tough one. And, and so I, I, I like I like the tough ones sometimes. And I think that they mm-hmm. really, really did it right. So awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we will be back on our next episode to take on another six or seven. I split them up seven, six, seven, six, because there's 26 episodes. So um, anyway, but with that, uh, Katie, take us out. Yeah. Um, for more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grant Potosky on Facebook and Twitter. All right. And Kay, Kay, where do people find you out there on the internet? Um, you can find me at on Twitter at uh, QTGeek. That's Q underscore T Geek. And you can find me um, on um, Counter Social at Kay Quinn. Excellent. Peter, how about you? Well, you can find me around the internet at, at Petrus Aquinas on most things. You can at me. I probably won't say anything because I don't <laughs> much on there. Um, I, I don't read. <laughs> I don't read. Um, but you can also find me on ELH's Twitch or YouTube playing Captain Thalen on the Drake, on the Drunken Dice podcast at Roll and Review, or in the weeds in Starship Excelsior doing transcripts. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. You see, the longer we kind of nudge you, the more stuff that you're, you're finding yourself on. So I love that stuff. Well, you can, <laughs> you can always find me uh, over on Twitter at the C3. Spell it out. Not so hot on Facebook these days, but uh, uh, April, uh, my lovely wife April and I do run the USS Grand Petoskey, of which both Peter and Kay are stalwart members. We're the largest uh, Star Trek fan club uh, in the state of Michigan and one 
of the biggest in the world. Uh, I'm also instrumental in helping run Region 13 for SFI, which is Michigan and Eastern Canada. So if you are in Michigan or Eastern Canada, please add me at Twitter if you'd like to learn more about SFI. That is my job. Uh, so with that, friends, as always, I'm going to tell you uh, that go to manscaped.com and use the code SFU to save 20%. <laughs> But I'll also tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trucking. Trekking. Whoops. And wherever you go, go boldly. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.